Well, in Houston, I'm John Herter. It's Tuesday, the 13th day of June. Great as always to have you along, everybody. From the Experts is a virtual networking opportunity flow accelerator, helping leaders across industries connect very quickly in a brief, moderated, interactive show format. Yeah, like a TED Talk with interaction. If all goes well, your curiosity sparked. New ideas, accelerate action. You may have helped yourself, somebody else, solve the problem, make a connection, reaching the opportunity faster. Connecting and learning with other leaders has never been more important for your business. Welcome to the second in a series of interactive shows focusing on helping business leaders solve problems with AI in partnership with Hewlett Packard Enterprise. On the show today, an open conversation discussing the pros and cons of on-premise, in-cloud, and hybrid implementations of AI resources. Folks, help me welcome guest expert Bill Manel. As chief technologist for HPC and AI solutions in the Americas, Bill has more than 25 years developing and selling HPC data, big data, and AI solutions for the global level at HPE and Silicon Graphics. He started his career as a uniformed officer for the United States Air Force. And following that, he worked with NASA on advanced aircraft designs. Fun fact about Bill, he's an ex-news reporter and was editor of his high school newspaper, which won a Pulitzer. Got to ask him about it. <laughs> hey, Bill, thank you very much for taking time out to share your insights and feedback with the group today on this strategic AI resources discussion, which is taking place right now in boardrooms everywhere. Over to you. Yeah, thanks a lot, John, and thank you, everyone. Um, happy to be here. Um, and uh, you know, today this is a very important question to, for a lot of us. Uh, you know, we're living in a, a world of big data. Um, you know, I, I've been speaking about this topic for about a decade or so, and and it's not getting any smaller. So, from all the the clicks we have on and the internet, from our cell phones, from our connected devices, my wife and I just got a couple of Honeywell thermostats and. You know, we can actually get weather data off the things. So it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating from that perspective. Um, but, but, you know, all this data, and, and, and I make this, so I've got half of my company does storage, I do compute, and the storage guys always say, well, you know, the data is the most important thing. And then, then I always come back and say, well, you've got a bunch of data and you don't compute on it, it's just a bunch of data. It just takes up space and, and um, you know, costs you money sort of thing. So you really have to compute on it to analyze it. And this is where, where AI can come in and really help um, a lot of businesses uh, understand their data, make good decisions, build better products, interact with their with their customers in in a different way from that standpoint. Um, but you know, a lot of people um, don't know how to get started, or 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 maybe they're they're nervous about getting started. Uh, and you know, the big question here is: Do you do you start with your own resources? Do you go to the cloud, um, or do you do some combination thereof? Um, and when I talk about AI resources here, I'm really talking about the software, the hardware, sometimes it's the interfaces and the interconnect, sometimes it's the applications, sometimes it's the skilled people that you need to help you on your AI journey. These are the things that, uh, that we talk about when we talk about AI resources, where do we want to, them to come from, from that perspective. So if I could show the first slide, please, uh, John or Gus, one, either one. Um, you know, so one thing that's, um, that, that we're definitely seeing is, is, is AI can revolutionize some of the operating models a lot of companies have as we go forward. Um, and we're seeing that at a lot of companies. 
I mean, for example, the first point here is being able to deliver a, a, a much richer experience. Um, and my example here is, um, you know, I just went on ChatGPT when this thing became famous a little while ago. And, and uh, my wife and I have been wanting to see the little turtles get released on South Padre Island in Texas. Um, and so in the past, if I did a, did a Google search on that, it ended up with like, you know, hundreds of URLs and not really knowing and 98% of them probably, you know, would it give me what I wanted. When I did the same on ChatGPT, I had this very concise description of where to go, what to do, um, other pointers for data, these sorts of things. So great example of how to deliver a much richer customer experience from you know hundreds of URLs that I had to sort through to a nice concise description that I could actually take and, and do something with very quickly and even enlarge upon it if I wanted to on my own. So you know that was very helpful. Um, at the same time, a lot of companies want to accelerate their the, the velocity at which they make decisions. So being able to gather up enough data together to make those decisions, um, maybe it's along the production line and we want to make sure that every part um, is um, at the quality it needs to be, um, as opposed to finding out at the end that you know you're 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 out of compliance. Now you've got a bunch of parts you're gonna have to fix or throw away or whatever sort of thing. So being able to do those kinds of decisions as well is something that AI and ML could be able to do for you. And also seeing around corners, what's the future look like? Um, you know, how can we make make decisions now that will help to impact that as we go forward? So so doing, uh, you know, back, you know, 20 some years ago, we used to call this computational steering. <laughs> so in other words, look to where the day is guiding us and, and can we guide it in a different way and get to a solution faster or maybe a better solution as we go forward. So these are all things that AI and ML can do for us um, as we go forward. And we want it, we want to have it do things for us, not do things to us in, in business, certainly from that standpoint. Um, so, you know, as we started to look at these AI resources I mentioned before, um, you know, we want to be cognizant about the impacts of, of where we find them. And those impacts can be in, in places like cost and places like flexibility. Um, and even in, in ownership and, and uh, control from that standpoint. So these can all be you know, very important uh, considerations when we, when we look at where we want to get our AI resources. So, um, and a lot of times there's, there's no one right answer. A lot of, for a lot of companies, it depends where they are as a company, what they're trying to get to, you know, how they're trying to begin their, their AI journey. Um, so let's uh, go to slide two, John, if I could, please. Um, so, you know, one of the things that is the reality today is that, uh, you know, a lot of customers, uh, as, they, as they try to move to the, the public cloud, they find that uh, they've got a lot of hybrid workloads with, with a lot of data gravity. So the, the data is more or less trapped. It's hard to move it for a variety of different reasons. Um, it could be... Uh, from a compliance perspective, it could be for, from an ownership perspective, it could be, you know, in some cases it's just too expensive to do that sort of thing. Um, and that kind of leads me into this, this, this multi-generational IT problem that all companies have. And, and I tell you what, as I've been wandering around recently, I hear this in spades. I, you know, I, I talk to system administrators and they say, hey, look, you know, you know, we've got your, we've got compact gear that we bought 25 years ago. It's still in service. And we've been trying to get the, the engineers to to move their apps over and retire that stuff, but but I can't get it. In fact, I was at a I was at a uh, data center recently for a very large customer, 
and the system administration, the system administrator in charge of that pointed to this one box, which by the way, had a five and a quarter floppy drive in it and said, I've been trying to get rid of that thing for a decade and the engineers still haven't gotten rid of it. Um, and then the problem that happens is you, you look at all these pieces and you look at the ROI of trying to move that up to the public cloud. It's really hard to make the ROI calculation work. Um, so, so we see a lot of sort of trapped IT, if you will, that we just can't, can't move away from yet. Um, and that leads to the, the, the bottom right, where almost 70% of apps and data are still on premises from that standpoint. So it's just too hard to move. Um, and then on the lower left, you see um, you know, a lot of governments, of, and, and for, for all very good reasons, are, are uh, intersecting some of the things that we could do by putting restrictions on where data can be located, where it can be shared. So more and more in a lot of countries, um, you know, data generated in the country has to stay within the country. It can't can't migrate out from that perspective. So, so, so these are also causing restrictions and things like that, making this this job of of possible cloud migration much tougher as we go forward. Um, so, so these are all things, um, and these are changing all the time. And you know, CIOs need to come in and make some decisions on you know how to how to play these their cards right as they go forward. Um, and so as you navigate this challenge, um, it's going to be indeed a challenge um, as you go. And, and it's important that you, you, you make the right decisions, obviously. Um, I think one, uh, one example I do have is uh, there was an operations officer for a CIO that came into our customer briefing center a few years ago and said and, and, and declared with, with a lot of firmness that he couldn't see a reason why this fairly large company would would be able to move all of their um, everything to the public cloud. Um, and you know to be to be frank, they they disappeared from us for like a year or two years. and then recently they came back again and they said basically they had tried to do that. Um, it didn't work. They had exactly what we see on this chart here. They had trapped applications that they still had to support. so they didn't really save a lot because they still had to have personnel to support those apps and those systems. Um, they had some data that that was confidential that they didn't feel comfortable uh, in in moving, um, so that was there as well. And so um, they they had a problem, and then they were buying systems from us again to put on premises. So um, this seems to be a, a, a common solution if you look at some of the data and try to get as much to the public cloud, but you can't. Um, so that's that's kind of an important result. Um, so let's um, let's go to the next slide, please. Um, so this is this is sort of your 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 cloud um, uh, operating model, or or maybe your cloud lifestyle. So 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 what does that what does that mean to you, sort of thing? So so typically in the in the public cloud experience, you get agility. Um, you know, I've been in conversations with customers before, and we're we're working with them trying to figure out how they upgrade their infrastructure and. And meanwhile, they've had a public cloud provider say, hey, look, you know, we'll get you started on Monday. <laughs> just just uh, provide you some compute and you'll be ready on Monday sort of thing. So definitely that, that, that idea of business agility, uh, which is certainly attractive um, to, some, to some companies, uh, to some institutes, uh, depending upon their maturity level, these sorts of things as well. Um, a lot of people enjoy the cloud experience. Again, you know, ease of use, getting on quickly, um, you know, not having to to stand up a data center or a data room or hire IT staff, that's, that's certainly nice. My wife actually ran a, a, a small museum 
and being able to just say, hey, we're just going to concentrate on, on the museum part of this. Let someone else handle our IT. That was, you know, for the 30, 30 employees she had, that was great. Um, so that happened, that happens a lot, sort of thing. Um, and cloud economics in that case was, you know, probably a good, a good choice at that time in that museum's life uh, to say, hey, look, you know, we're just not going to focus on that right now. Not, not important. There's all, obviously a lot of automation that's available as well to the public about lots of tools out there to allow you to move your data and move your apps and take advantage of some of those tools. And, and obviously almost infinite scalability if you look at the size of some of the, the, um, the, the public cloud players from that perspective. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, you look at the on, the, what on-premises gives you. you know, obviously you control your data. Um, you can control your performance for the most part because because you own own the resources or, or many of them as opposed to hey look you're you're waiting I, you know you know I logged into a rental car site this morning and sat there waiting for a while and I know for a fact that they have their stuff in the public cloud by the way because you can just look at the look at the pointers they have that that have that the public cloud in there um, fit for purpose um, you know you don't have to necessarily make compromises in terms of exactly what you want you know because you're going to buy it and put it in your data center or in a colo for example um, and obviously um, you know your security and IP and privacy concerns are, are, are yours to own um, you can explain them you own them you can uh, you know invest in them as you wish um, and a lot of times you do have optimized TCO um, so you know we do hear from a lot of customers that that uh, as they migrate to the public cloud, it wasn't necessarily a, a way to save cost. It, it was more important on some of the other things we saw on the side in terms of agility and these sorts of things. But but for the most part, was not a, a you know a, a cost benefit to the company. You know, it was much better. You know, we just want to get out of that business kind of thing. Is what we hear a lot. You know, we don't want to do that anymore from that perspective. Um, and a lot of times that happens when a company when a company's um, you know, doing what I mentioned before, you know, has a lot of aging infrastructure and just needs to make a big, big move. And, and, and I will note the last big move we had was really in Y2K when everybody felt that they had to replace everything. Um, so um, so that, that drove a lot and, you know, that's been 23 years ago. So that's why you got this accumulated IT debt, if you will, over time. And some customers just say, you know, forget it, you know, just, just, you know, just move everything. I talked to a, a customer recently who, had allowed shadow IT to just run rampant all over the, the company. So they just said, hey, look, you know, we want to go to, we want to move to a different model kind of thing, just start from scratch and stop all this stuff, get everybody lined up. And that's that's kind of what they were doing there from that perspective. And so as you're looking at these different cloud operating models that are out there, you really want to understand what your users are, are, are looking to be able to do. And in some cases, you know, having the right kind of form to, to gather that feedback and to um, you know make that a a, a very a very circular uh, uh, kind of feedback loop. So you talk to people, you propose something, you talk to them again, see if that that fits for what they need. Um, it's going to be really important to help you make the right decision as you go forward. Um, and the thing to keep in mind is is a lot of times I've heard from customers as they as they migrate to the public cloud, they make some decisions that that could. Uh, create a fair amount of lock-in as they go forward because they'll be locked into certain tools and certain processes. Um, and uh, when lock-in, lock-in typically in, implies expensive, uh, right? I mean, you can't you can't get out. You have to sort of continue to pay to stay in from that standpoint. So so you lose some of your leverage when you when when you give up some of the control of your your AI resources as we've been talking about. The other thing to be really important is. 
um, you know, you're going to have to plan for, for multiple terms. So a short term, midterm and long term as well. Um, and that could, that could make a difference as you go forward. Um, and it's okay to have a short term plan as long as you keep track of, of you know, where your, your, your users want to go. So you might have a short term plan that says, um, let's just put everything in the public cloud, but a longer term plan, um, you know, makes more sense to have maybe a hybrid model from that standpoint. So, you know, again, um, really important to get in touch with your users, do a needs assessment, you know, where they want to go and figure out where you want to be on this, on this particular journey as we go forward. Um, so um, I want to just uh, flash up a couple of slides real quickly if I could. Um, so, you know, HPE, you know, has a, what we call the GreenLake capability. This is really kind of a mix of both on-prem and cloud capability. So you don't really have to make a, 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 um, a hard decision one way or the other. You can kind of grow, this allows you to grow with it. Um, we call it the cloud that comes to you sort of thing. It can be, we can own it, you can own it in your, in your uh, data center or, or, or either one uh, from that standpoint. Um, next slide, please. Um, and so, you know, a little bit more detail on this. So, you know, it gives you sort of a cloud experience, a more, more of an easy button to get you started um, and uh, allows you also to grow and make choices that, you know, if you decide, well, you know, we really want to go back on-prem, we want to go more on cloud, um, then, then that, uh, that will be easier for you. It's also an open ecosystem. So I think that's really important too. So, you know, just a little bit uh, about our, our Greenway capability. Um, and at that, at this point, um, I think I'm, I'm done with my preamble. Um, like to uh, take a look at the poll, the polls that we have here. So, um, you know, it looks like uh, you know a lot, you know, a good third of us are investigating use cases, which is good. Um, you know, figure out, you know, where you want to apply AI and where where it could benefit your institute or your company. Um, it seems like only a few of you are running a pilot or testing at this time. So, it uh, seems like a lot of people are doing the research. Um, some are in the, the, the solution development, so that's about roughly a third as well, a little less than a third. Um, and some of you have AI in production today, so you know, congratulations, and hopefully that's uh, driving a kind of TCO and business results you had hoped for. And some of you are, are, have, it started, have it started yet, but are thinking about it. Um, let's look at the next one here. So what is your top AI challenge? Um, you know, talent, I hear that a lot, you know, people just can't get the right people, you know, budget and technology stack are, are in there, are in there too, uh, from that standpoint. Um, and some people uh, are working on a business case uh, in terms of their particular institute or, or, or business as well. And certainly, you know, quality of data can, can be impactful. And finally, executive sponsorship, although that seems to be a little bit low, I think it's, it's difficult to be an executive in a company and not be talking about AI one way or the other. And someone's gonna ask you, and maybe the board of directors and maybe the, you know, the CEO, someone's gonna ask you, you know, what's, what's your AI strategy? It was just exactly back when you were asked for your big data strategy or your IoT strategy you know, a few years ago. It's hard to get away with not having those. So you know, we're, we're pretty mixed in terms of this. So we've got a good crowd here as well. Um, let's see where people are running their AI workloads. Well, we've got, uh, um, some people are on Amazon, some people are on Google, um, you know, a bit more uh, are in, uh, in Azure from that standpoint. So um, still a heavy amount are, are on premises and, you know, um, la-di-da, we've got almost 50, over 50% that are hybrid, which isn't, which isn't surprising to us. Um, and one of the reasons that we felt like our, our GreenLake technology was, was a good, good mix or, or a good fit for people that, that feel like they need to be hybrid. So that's that's good as well from that perspective. 
Um, and how is the cost of the, has the cloud of the cost of the cloud? Here we go. Cost of the cloud negatively impacted you. About 20% said yes, 40% said no, and 40% are, are probably not sure yet. They're still early in their journey. So um, that um, and that concludes our, our poll question. So you know, good good start. Thanks for everybody's uh, contribution to that. And I'll turn yeah, it over. Thanks a lot, Bill. Sure. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. So, folks, now we're moving into the uh, group discussion. Let's open the floor, Bill. Let's get some feedback from anybody out there that uh, has heard from you. If you're new to the show, uh, basically this is where we start with a, a general question, and then uh, but you can ask whatever questions you have for Bill. You can use the raise your hand in the Zoom toolbar, and if I call on you, you can say pass, and we'll move right along. And you know when you come out with your comment, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us what you do. And of course, keep the chat box active with any questions if you don't uh, want to speak verbally. All right. So Bill's general question uh, to get us started is, where are your current points of friction setting up your AI resources? What have you experienced and how are you addressing them? So I uh, guess if you would put that in there, that'd be great. And, and with that, Dr. Usha, I'm so glad that you're with us today. What was your take on what you heard from Bill? Absolutely. Thank you, John. Um, uh, so uh, thank you, Bill. Um, it's wonderful to have you here and uh, listen to your uh, perspectives and how you uh, run the uh, uh, your organization. So one thing uh, I felt like, you know, um, a lot that I've uh, taken in in respect to it, uh, the technical debt. So one thing I feel like, you know, you did mention about how we should mitigate the technical debt because that's the challenge across businesses that we see. And for me, it is like, you know, when we are doing, um, when I was with McKinsey, it's like regularly evaluating and optimizing the A infrastructure. That is uh, super important because that will prevent the accumulation of the technical debt. And one other thing that you highlighted is about the hybrid model. It's like, it's not, businesses are reluctant, but there are certain things that um, we try to uh, keep it on-prem and some on um, on the cloud. And majority today, it's like moved into cloud and uh, some we still maintain on-prem. So that's why you see the poll where the hybrid model, it's like uh, uh, it's uh, you see that has the higher percentage when compared to what the other adoption uh, people are taking right. across businesses, right? So my question for you is like, what are some best practices or strategies that we can follow when we manage this technical debt? Because every organization have this, right? In order to how they can res do this AA resource allocation, because it uh, with uh, also integrating this LLM today, they we are going to face the challenge in each and every uh, businesses, uh, no matter whether it is a startup or larger organizations, are there any specific tools uh, that you recommend or your uh, uh, your uh, units uh, for optimizing the resource allocation? Can you um, shed some light over there? Um, yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, I think uh, you know, I think a lot of it is 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 really looking at um, the. Um, various sets of apps and workloads that you have and prioritizing, you know, what are the most impactful ones from a business perspective? Um, and then, uh, you know, running an ROI on, you know, what you hope to gain from that. Um, so, so I think a lot of it's just, um, I, I don't want to say just because there's a lot of work behind this, by the way, but, but it's, uh, you know, calculating out an ROI and, and showing it to your management and saying, hey, look, you know, we can save a million dollars by, 
by spending $100,000 here and migrating this stuff um, into either new technology on premises or into the cloud from that perspective. Uh, now, you know, a lot of us, I mean, if you're like me, I, 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 you know, I'm busy with what I normally do all day. So, so a lot of us do uh, find, you know, consultants that, that do this kind of work. There's quite a few of them. Um, it should be really a surprise from that standpoint. Uh, but uh, they can come in and help you do some of that work. Um, and work with the various teams across the company to gather the data together to help them make decisions. But I mean, you know, again, the challenge for a lot of companies is that IT grew so fast um, and it just became so overwhelming that, you know, they've, they've just literally, um, there, there's just so much that we have in our data centers right now that, you know, you, you know we wish we did it. And it takes a long time to, to migrate off of that stuff. I mean, and I think all of us have, those kinds of stories about how, how long it took to, to, to migrate off of some of uh, some of our old applications uh, and, and, and all the internal resistance, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the people that, you know, didn't want to give up this or didn't want to give up that. Um, and, uh, you know, those those are some of the, the challenges you have. But, you know, best to best to take the emotion out, you know, and even, you know, get a third party in there to be less emotional. Um, and then to be able to stack rank those and and figure out what, what you know what's the best solution for each one of those. And and if you look at that cloud lifestyle thing I, I showed, you can then sort out which applications will fit better either in the cloud or or not in the cloud. Because you know if there's a lot of confidential data, that sort of that's stuff right. probably needs to stay on prem. Other stuff that's you know less um, you right. know, matters somewhat less, you can you can put that in the um, you know public cloud. Yeah, uh, thank you very much. So, so we also have Rebecca Scholl. Rebecca, I'm just going to let you introduce yourself briefly. But the thing I'm interested, you have a question, but I'm interested also in your perspective because you deal with a lot of executives in this uh, technology board that you do. Uh, so what's your question? And could you explain that a little? Of course, yeah. So um, Rebecca Shaw with Genpact, um, we're a 100,000 employee uh, organization that spun out of GE about 20 years ago. And we're helping companies with um, digital transformation. Um, the, the big consideration I have for this group is, uh, as a lot of the attention has been taken right now on generative AI, uh, there are some new considerations that are um, coming up. Uh, considerations on talent. Uh, you know, what is the uh, the talent that is going to be needed in this new generation? Is prompt engineering the job of the future? Considerations on security. Uh, I was talking with the Gartner analyst who runs AI, uh, Svetlana Sikular, last week, and she said never before has she had daily calls with legal and security teams in all of her um, career. So new security considerations, and that has an impact on your decision on where to place uh, these pilots on generative AI. And finally, whether you're going to build your large language model in-house or whether you're going to leverage ones that, have, uh, are, that are already in existence by uh, cloud providers. So I think the question to the group is, are these considerations on that you, that you laid out, Bill, um, are they changing? And uh, are they changing as a result of uh, these security and ethical questions, talent questions, uh, and cost questions? Um, generative AI. Well, I would just add at the beginning. I mean, that was just kind of a thunderclap for the, for the industry, right? Just a just a you know, a few short months ago. I mean, kind of AI was, you know, you know, we all knew AI needed to happen, ML in, in particular. But then all of a sudden, 
you know, you know, the world changed. Suddenly the, we did search through Google and then, you know, Google just seems like silly these days. Hopefully there's no one from Google here, but uh, the, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's made, it's made huge changes and, and, you know, almost immediately we had, you know, the, the ethical, the legal discussions about, and, and a whole and announcement at the all hands about how we can't use that for any kind of business needs, you know, use it for personal needs, but don't put any business data in it because it suddenly becomes, you know, accessible and something that someone else can use. So, so that's really changed the game quite a bit. I mean, very, very powerful. Um, I also thought it was interesting just recently, I just saw a couple articles recently where, where, you know, uh, chat GPT generated Aaron's data and, you know, there's people who are upset about it from that standpoint. So, so we have to be, you know, very, very careful about that, especially institutionally. Um, and, and obviously there's, there's a huge advantage. I mean, if you're in any kind of big company you say, oh my gosh, gosh, I can actually, you know, type into something and, and get and find where the, you know, the answers I want are without having to troll through a whole bunch of outdated URLs that the company has to, you know, spend a lot of time on sort of thing. So it has some wonderful advantages, but also some challenges as well. I'll leave it to the, the rest of the group to comment as well. Great, thanks. Uh, Shaheen, uh, David, Anna, any questions for Bill related to this? Uh, sure, I'll go. Uh, glad to be here and glad to see Bill again. Thank you. Uh, always a pleasure to listen to you. And thank you for uh, driving such a such a nice community here. Uh, I put it in my poll and I want to ask also two, two questions. One is use cases. I think ChatGPT is very simple. So you just go and prompt and play and it generates content. It's a bit of a BS artist, so you have to be careful. Yep. But, uh, but, but it's like makes it very easy to know how to use it. I think when you go to other use cases, unless you really are a big company, you may be wondering like, where can I use this? What does it do? So I think it's more of a you know, question, a suggestion is that what are the, what are the use cases you see in, in different departments that are using AI effectively, kind of beyond just automation and scripting and what all the robotic process automation guys have been doing. So that's really one question. The other thing that I put in my, my, my poll was data quality. Uh, I'm highly, highly worried about data quality uh, because I think you know somebody has to put the science into data science and be skeptical and look at the data science. So, so if you can speak to both of those, that would be awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. I think one of the one of the important things, one thing I'm seeing right now is that you know people are are you know thrilled with the capability of ChatGPT, but everyone needs to have something from a from a business perspective that actually applies to their business. Um, so, so I would see over time where um, you know if you look at uh, just take any particular industry, let's take the energy industry for example, um, they're they're going to want to see. Um, some some uh, uh, generative AI that's that's appropriate to their market. You know, maybe you know, is is this the right place to put the, to drill the hole? Sort of thing, as simple as that, and be able to come back with you know an answer that says, well, you know, it's you know, it it, it looks like eighty percent probability you'll find you'll find natural gas or whatever you want there, um, and this is the reason why from that perspective. So so, so actually, you know, drilling down beyond. You know, you know, a lot of the models today are, I mean, 
you know, I did AI, you know, when I was in college, which was forever ago, right? I, mean, I did a expert system, right, for failure analysis and mechanical, mechanical things, right? I mean, and, and it would come up with 70% this, 50% that, you know, 20% this. I think being able to use this generative AI, um, this chat GPT capability to actually dig below that very simplified level and be able to say, well, you know, it's it's 80%. And these are the reasons why, you know, to actually, you know, actually give you a business proposition about why that's the case. And I think that's going to be important. So, so, so to your point, um, right now I have it, you know, using the, I mean, you know, we have this sim simplified thing that, you know, there's a defect here, kick that thing off the production line. I mean, that's, that's relatively simple sort of thing, or, you know, don't, don't run over the dog in the crosswalk kind of thing. I mean, those things are relatively simple um, in, in real terms, but actually kind of getting below that, it's going to take a, a, a lot to, to do. In fact, I just, I just was uh, strategizing with the sales team. They're saying, well, you know, what can we, what can we talk to them about? And, you, you know, I said, well, you know, right now it's all very developing for them. Um, and so over time, you know, they'll have that capability, but hopefully we'll be able to take some models and modify those to be more applicable depending upon your market. So, so I, I think the answer to your question is it's going to be a while before we see some really good use cases other than, you know, you know, writing a song kind of thing. Um, which which could be valuable for some people, but you know we're all here in business, and so I don't do songs for business kind of thing. At least right now, not right now. Sometimes I have to sing a song, but uh, anyway. Um, and so that's 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 some of the some of the the important things as we go forward. So I, I think I think you'll start to see that people will see the value invested in that, and that's when I talk to some of the customers and and completely agree with you, Shaheen. It's the customers I'm talking to are like the biggest corporations in the world. So you, you know, let's be completely fair about that. Um, I believe that, you know, that will start to drive downward that capability. It's going to be a while. It's not going to be, you know, your, your 50 person architectural firm is probably not going to be using AI anytime soon to the degree that that uh, the generative AI is, you know, you're not going to put my my son's girlfriend is actually getting an architecture degree at U of T. And so 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 uh, Juliet, that's her name, won't be able to kind of talk into a device and say, hey, look, design me this. And this thing pops out and everything's all done. Uh, you know, for for a, a smaller potential, right. going to be a while. Go ahead. Couple Jim. couple things. Uh, one question came up. So, leveraging a true multi cloud model is is a strong desire by the industry. But how do you actually go about doing that? How do you actually help? How are you helping business leaders do that? Um, so, you know, I think the. I mean, I'll just talk about it in general terms as opposed to anything anything specific HPE. But, but, but in general, um, you know, there's. I mean, there's there's a fair amount of work going on. I, I mean, the, generally, the large public cloud players, you know, see you know see a value in in holding their proprietary interfaces and these sorts of things. You know, as long as they can, right? I mean, they're they're getting a fair amount of, of profit from that. Um, you know, there there has been some work, and uh, I think there'll continue to be some work in how do we standardize some of those interfaces so you don't have you can you can switch from one to the other more easily. Now, for the most part, you, you know, we kind of play the middle player. So, in other words, we you know we try to work with a particular customer and get them access to um, to to uh, different cloud resources. In some cases, you know, customers are are coming to us through, like I mentioned GreenLake a little bit, and then also taking advantage of, of they might also have some um, subscription dollars from you know, AWS or from Azure or whatever that they can then use 
you know, in, in some cases, very, very common uh, for larger customers to have uh, to be uh, sampling from all the big cloud providers, you know, so they're, they're doing some work over here, they got a good deal on some AI instances over here. And so we can help to tie that together in, into one interface and basically manage it for them. So, so I think that's right. what you're seeing, you know, us more in this, at the center of this thing more than anything else. And, and I do agree, I think people want that multi-cloud experience, you, you know, they want right. to get you know, here's a set of interesting capabilities, AI resources over here. I want to get to them and not in, and I've chosen over here, but I want to get to here. So I think you'll see more and more demand for that going forward. Right. Thank you, Bill. So last question, uh, David Mullins, would you mind just mentioning it? I mean, clearly this is a big issue. Oh, sure, John. Uh, hi, I'm David Mullins and I'm the general manager of uh, WFSU Public Media were the PBS and NPR stations in Tallahassee, Florida. And we're just uh, just really investigating the prospect of what could AI and generative AI do to help us in this industry, Bill. And I think really kind of speaking on behalf of this industry, but maybe even all, all charitable organizations, using uh, AI in your uh, to, to more fully develop a CRM that really is diving deeper into donor information and what are the ethical considerations that we need to be uh, aware of with that? And will there be an opportunity within the development of, of AI to create an ethical standard that is already kind of automated within, within AI? And then on the media side of content creation, uh, definitely, uh, not necessarily for a small organization like myself, but a 24-7 news operation that is trying to generate new and new news constantly. Uh, right. The use of AI or generative AI could be a great benefit, but also could be a disaster for them, right? Yeah, so any, no. any, any considerations that HPE is, has had in that in that world? Um, yeah, no, I mean, all I can say is I, I, I agree with what you're saying, mm -hmm. um, you know, so there, there's a uh, cost of the day, and it's just like we have with social media today. I mean, you, you know, you get stuff in your inbox and, you know, you know, how truthful is that stuff really? I mean, it, it has bred sort of a, a general skepticism and you, and you, um, you believe the stuff you like and you don't believe the stuff you don't like, and it's, it's kind of gotten to that. That's uh, that sort of thing. But, but I believe that um, in, in general, and this is starting um, you know, at, at some pretty interesting levels is, is um, you know, providing or building ethical standards around AI is, is something we probably need to do. I think ex actually the United States is a little bit behind the rest of the world. You know, Europe already has some, some pretty significant um, uh, ethical standards that they, that they put up. Uh, there's, I, I can, I should have, um, I, I just thought about this. I, I, I'll add that that to the URL if we can get to it, but you look through some of that stuff, but that's that's very interesting as well. Um, and so we're we're behind. We need to catch up, um, and I think it it builds in a whole. I mean, it's a whole line of different thought than we've had in the past because it's it's um you know it's the old when you wrote your your term paper in in high school or college or whatever. Um, you know how much of that is like like original work versus, you know, you kind of regurgitated what someone else said, you know, how much original thinking did you put into that versus, you know, just move words around. And, and I think that's going to be a real challenge going forward. And I have two college, well, actually, one just graduated, thank goodness, but uh, I've got one college age person left. And, you know, that's, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's interesting. It's going to be an interesting impact 
going forward. Now, the reality of it is, is, you know, from, you know, again, I've had a couple here. Um, there's so much already um, out there. If you know how to get to it, you can get to it anyway. So in other words, if you want to get answers to, you know, your chemistry 101 test, it's out there in the, in the media somewhere. Um, so, so we need to build, we need to, we need to update our thinking about that and, and, uh, and uh, see what we can do there. Um, and, and so, and, and the reverse of that, by the way, because there have been cases where uh, people have put, so some of the schools have these devices that go through and said, oh, well, you know, you, you cheated, you got your data from here. And, you know, there's uh, in some cases very little recourse from that standpoint. And you want to, you want to understand, well, you know, why did you see that? I did actually do that sort of thing. Um, and so that's a, that's another challenge as well. So, so, so both, both sort of in and out from that perspective. So I think that's going to be interesting going forward. Absolutely. So we're going to extend just a few minutes longer than uh, the 45, 1245. And we've got several other questions in chat that uh, you can follow up with, Bill, after the show. Sure. But I uh, wanted to see what kind of uh, other input uh, from David, uh, perhaps Rebecca, Usha, people I know that are involved in the ethical dilemma issue here. Any thoughts more based on what you've heard? Well, John, uh, I was at a, at a uh, National Association of Broadcasters convention last month, and there was actually a, a session devoted to AI. And mm -hmm. some media organizations are already applying generative AI and in, in, into their into into their operations. But they are the the the, the final word in that in that uh, uh, session was as long as there is oversight and kind of an editorial oversight at the end of this process mm -hmm. to make sure that nothing incorrect well i guess you can never promise nothing incorrect is going to be is going to hit the media right but at least within the ethical standards that uh, that organization has for the content they're going to make sure that it meets those standards so uh, people interaction uh, for the foreseeable future is going to always need to be there thanks i'll um, just Oh, go ahead, Usha. No, no, go ahead, please, Rebecca. Go ahead, and then I'll go. I'll just say that um, it clearly needs to be designed up front when you're building AI projects. It's not something that you can think of as an afterthought. And we're seeing companies uh, who are actually building a chief ethics office, um, similarly to a risk office that they would have for audit, audit purposes. And they are, um, it is uh, going to be an, a mandatory requirement. So it's not a, you know, maybe it's a absolute need. Um, designing it from the start allows you to look at the considerations of, you know, the, the data bias, uh, the model bias, um, the challenge with a, a generative AI is the speed with which it is uh, taking on. And so that speed um, will tend to um, replicate biases that we already know exist uh, in healthcare, uh, around education, or in finance world around uh, income. And so that uh, that is perhaps an additional challenge with uh, right now is the speed with which it's being adopted. Yeah, great point, Rebecca, that you made on the, you know, it cannot be an afterthought. Many organizations, um, they were, before these LLMs spurred up, you know, they were doing like, it was like only as a post deployment. Oh, okay, we need to add an explainability. Why this model made certain decision? Why the claim was disapproved? Why the, why the claim was approved? You know, so they never 
thought like it has to happen right from the uh, phase like when we start with the data cleansing and the data pre-processing. So, and also one other thing that I'm noticing, uh, there was one paper that uh, just um, um, came last yesterday, I believe this uh, this week from LinkedIn, where you know they uh, they have, they are trying to put together uh, many businesses are doing this, where they are putting together a justifiable framework, like how exactly they are mitigating the bias on why certain decisions or why model is making this decision. So they give that justifiable framework so that there is a transparency. And that is super important because you have to base all the ethical framework where the fairness, accountability, there are so many things, security, compliance, regulatory laws that we follow, but the fairness, explain, uh, explainability, um, the accountability and transparency, these four are super important in order to uh, have the ethical considerations follow through across the ML uh, development life cycle. Thanks, Susha. So mm -hmm. uh, thank you both. And uh, one question on the way out, Bill, for your last word, Anna had to pop out, but she said, well, how will the AI help the new generations that are taking place in the shop floor uh, that uh, need to capture this tribal knowledge and experience uh, SMEs, the, the SMEs that are retiring? How, how can they capture that? Well, you know, I think the, yeah, so so I think the the important thing is to really figure out um, what um, you know what the people on the shop floor are doing. Uh, you know, it's kind of data gathering, data accuracy perspective, um, and then being able to to use that. Um, and in some cases, you know, maybe we don't we don't need them on the shop floor anymore because you know uh, you know a a robot or something else takes over uh, from that perspective or. Um, you know, we use that as a way to, to train them uh, in order to, uh, you know, get them up to speed faster uh, or even basically by themselves uh, because the, the SME, you know, isn't here anymore. Uh, you know, and how many, you know, I mean, I think a great example, we all have this, you know, what about, you know, that code that was written 10 years ago and the person that wrote it is retired now and, you know, how, um, how do we understand it? I think that's a great example. Um, can you, can you, um, and, and, and we've all been there. We all dug through the code and said, okay, well, you know, this, this happens here, that happens there. We do some flow charting kind of thing. You know, that would be a great, that would be a great application of AI to be able to go in there and kind of break that code out um, and even suggest ways to, to port it or to modify or make it easier from that perspective. I mean, I think that applies also to, someone had a question about processes as well. I think it's the same with processes. A lot of processes are, are not well documented uh, and they sort of develop over time. Maybe they started here and then they were slowly changed, but there was no documentation. You know, I think this is another place where, where AI can track those changes um, and be able to, to um, document them and, and help uh, and help enforce them going forward. So, so some, some really interesting things possible going forward. Agreed. Bill, that's going to have to be the last word. Thanks everybody. So how was the expert talk and discussion today? You can see that we put up the survey, please fill it out. Uh, it's very important for us to continue to get better, make the show better for each of you. Today's post-show notes will hit your mailbox soon with the attendee contacts and other information that you need. Next up on From the Experts, Solving Problems with AI continues July 11th with focused on your AI journey, Blueprint for Business Leaders, led by Joey Zwicker. Co-founder Packy Derman, now VP of AI Portfolio Strategy at HPE. 
with over 2,300 members, 20,000 followers across 25 industries, the FT network is growing fast thanks to you and our sponsors like HPE. Please check out our library of expert content available to members on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Register for more shows just like this one on our website, fte.network. Folks, we're out of time. Thanks once again, Bill. Really appreciate it. And to all of you from the experts on the FTE show. We'll see you next time.